It is a blessing to be here this morning. It is a privilege to be with you and to be able to open the Word of God together. Let's start with prayer. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to come into your house this morning. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have, that we can meet openly, that we could gather together around your word. And Lord, we thank you for your word that we have, the Bible. Lord, I think of the many millions of people that have never touched your word, never heard your word, never saw your word. Lord, today, may we see this world as you see it. In your name we pray. Amen. For the Sunday School Hour, I would like to invite you to open your Bibles with me. And let me just get my notes pulled up here. If you would, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at a relatively familiar passage of Scripture this morning. Both this morning in Sunday School and... um. This morning in the service, Romans chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. Romans chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. If you are able, if you will stand in honor of reading God's word, Romans chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is... I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. You all may be seated. I want to ask a simple question this morning. Who are you? Who are you? There are many ways to answer that question. When we're back in the United States, I, I, I am American, we grew, I grew up in the United States. When we're back in the United States visiting churches, my family and I, especially my children, like to listen to some adventure stories put out by Majesty Music called Patch the Pirate. I don't know if anybody has ever heard of Patch the Pirate and their adventure stories, But in one of those adventure stories, it's called Camp Kukawaka Woods. The director of the camp has his hat. He's wearing, you can picture him wearing a hat. He has his hat um, punctured by an arrow. And as the story goes on, the, the dialogue in the story talks about how the camp director has to wear many hats. He's sport director, he's camp director, he's message director. He he has a lot of different hats or a lot of different responsibilities that he wears. 
Each one of us are exactly like that camp director. Some of us identify who we are based upon our job. In fact, in the, um, in the olden days, I'm talking way back several hundred years ago, people were often called by their last name. If you had the last name Baker, it was because you were a baker. So our name identifies us. Our job identifies us. This morning I was introduced as a missionary. The, the idea that I am a missionary identifies a little bit about who I am. I am a father. I have five children back in South Korea. My oldest is 17, my youngest is four. I am a father. I am a husband. My wife is back in South Korea. We've been married for 21 years this year. I want you to think this morning about who you are. The different hats, to use the Patch the Pirate analogy, the different hats that you wear. Who are you? As we read this passage of Scripture this morning, we see the Apostle Paul identify some of his hats. And the hats that he was wearing, that he identified in this passage of Scripture, are hats that every one of us should be wearing. Every one of us should be able to take these same hats that the Apostle Paul used here in this passage to identify himself, and they should be true in our lives also as a means of identifying who we are. So who are you today? The first hat that I want you to see here is that the Apostle Paul calls himself a debtor. A debtor. In verse 14, he says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Now, we all know what it means to be a debtor. I am not familiar with the Canadian baking system, but if one thing has stood out all around the world, little pieces of plastic have become a... I hesitate to use the term vital, but a way of transacting business. You know exactly what I'm talking about. A credit card, a debit card. I'm specifically right now referring to the credit aspect. How many of us have at least one of those little pieces of plastic? Almost every hand. How many of us at some point in our life have had a car loan? Not quite as many, but a few. How about a mortgage? Some of us, we understand what it means to be in debt as it relates to money. And this term debtor usually refers, well, it always refers to somebody that owes someone something. We go to the bank and we say, well, I have a major expense coming up. I'd like to borrow some money. We become a debtor 
or the, the book of Proverbs calls it a slave to the lender. We understand that concept. There is another way to look at the idea of debt that does not include money. In South Korea, if I do something for someone, whether I take them food or whether I just help them out with some aspect of their life, I am indebted, or they are indebted to me. Not because I gave them money, but because I assisted them with some need. They feel indebted to the person that helped them out. I have been told, and I'm not up on all of the different cultures of the world, but I've been told that that idea of being indebted to somebody is true in many cultures around the world. You did something for me, therefore I am in your debt. There's one thing that we as Americans, and I'm going to say most of the Western world, would like to be is debt-free. Is there anybody that would, let, would be willing to admit this morning that they are debt-free, that they have no debt, financially speaking? Almost, I don't see anybody this morning. Generally, we don't want to be in debt. So what would cause the Apostle Paul to be willing to identify himself as a debtor this morning? Why would the Apostle Paul be willing to, to put that hat on and say, I am a debtor. I am in debt. I believe that there are two aspects to Paul's debt that we need to keep in mind here. Paul was indebted to Christ. Paul was indebted to Christ. I want you to think about this for just a minute. We believe in the Word of God. We believe that the Bible is true. And when the Bible says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, the heaven and the earth, we believe that to be the actual Word of God. It is true. God created everything. God created you. God created me. As the Creator... The Creator owns the creation. This is an important concept that many people miss. But let me say it again. The Creator owns the creation. This is one reason why the philosophy of evolution, the, the, the religion of evolution, is so strong today. Because people generally understand, at a subconscious level, this idea that the Creator owns the creation. Therefore, if there is no Creator, I am my own owner. 
Effectively, that is what the religion of evolution teaches. We could also call it an outgrowth of humanism. The fact that God created you places you automatically in his debt. But there is a greater reason why the Apostle Paul was in Christ's debt. You see, the the Apostle Paul was a believer. The Apostle Paul had accepted Christ as his personal Savior. The Apostle Paul understood his position before God. In fact, he speaks of, in in his letters, he calls himself the chiefest of sinners. Now, I don't believe, and I'm going to go out on a limb here just a little bit, I don't believe that the Apostle Paul was probably the worst sinner that ever lived on the face of the earth. When he was talking about the chiefest, him being the chiefest of sinners, he looked at his life, he looked at the relationship between him and God, and said, God, my sin is so horrible. You did so much for me. The Apostle Paul recognized what it cost God, to provide salvation for you and I. I am not sure that we as humans can ever totally, completely understand that. Jesus Christ leaving the wonders of heaven to come down and live among the creation. To be beaten to be whipped, to be mocked, to be hung on the cross and killed. Not because he had done anything wrong, but because of the awfulness of your sin and my sin. And his desire, his love, for us, his desire to provide a way of escape, that we could escape the punishment for our sins. When we take a step back and we look at the cross and we look at the Jesus Christ and what he has done, how can we not? How can we not respond by saying, I am forever. I am forever in your day. The Apostle Paul was very much willing to wear the hat of a debtor. He recognized that he was indebted to Christ because of what God has done for him. When I was in Bible college, I had the opportunity to go on a couple of short-term missions trips. I went to the country of Pakistan, I went to the country of India, and I went to the country of Russia. Having grown up in the United States, Christianity really is cheap. It is very easy to be a Christian, and I'm going to say in general, in the Western world. 
You say, Brother Elliot, what do you mean by that? Well, in the Western world, we generally don't have to fear the policeman coming in with automatic weapons and dragging everybody off to jail and in the process beating us simply because we wanted to gather together to worship God in church. A few miles north of us in the country of North Korea, if you are caught with a copy of the Word of God, it is an instant death sentence not only for you, but also for your entire family. Some of the stories that I have heard confirmed stories that I have heard of the torture that the North Korean regime has put on Christians in North Korea would would make your stomach turn. When I went to Pakistan in India, those were the first two countries that I went to. I met people that had been tortured for their faith. I met people whose family had totally, completely disowned them. I met people who their family had dumped gasoline on them and set them on fire simply because they believed this book. We don't We don't have to fear that. We have an easy Christianity. And that easy Christianity has caused us to devalue what Christ has truly done for you and I. Can you see yourself as a debtor this morning because of what Christ has done? Can you see yourself this morning as a debtor to the lost world around us? The Apostle Paul said that he was a debtor both to, the, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. He recognized that because he had been given such a wonderful gift, that that gift made him indebted to those that had not received the gift, that he owed them the opportunity to receive the same gift that he had been given. Let me put it a little bit differently. The Apostle Paul said that he was indebted to the lost world. That means if we extrapolate this out, and we're going to wear the same hat that the Apostle Paul wore, you and I are indebted to our neighbors. You and I are indebted to our co-workers. You and I are indebted to our family that has not accepted Christ. You and I are indebted to the person on the street. You and I are indebted to the person walking their dog. You and I are indebted to the gas station attendant. We owe them a debt because of what God has done for us. Who are you this morning? The Apostle Paul said, I am a debtor. Are you willing to take the hat of being a debtor upon yourself as the Apostle Paul did?
The second hat that we see here is the Apostle Paul says that I am ready. He says, so as much, verse 15, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. As we read the Word of God, we learn that there are at least four things that the believer is to be ready for. The believer, well, that people in general are to be ready for. We're to be ready for the return of Christ. We do not know when Christ is going to return, but we do know that the Bible is very clear that He will return. In like manner, in Acts chapter 1, in like manner, as you have seen Him go up into the sky, you will, He will come again. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Thessalonica, you do not grieve, and I'm paraphrasing it, look it up later in, in chapter 4, you do not, we, we, we as believers do not grieve as the lost world grieves. Why? Because Christ will come again. The Bible is very clear that Christ is coming back. Are you ready to meet Him? Have you had your sins forgiven? Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you ready today? The book of, the, the book of Hebrews put it like this, It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. We don't like talking about death. I don't know very many people of, or anyone that really likes talking about death. But every one of us have an appointment with death. If Christ does not return first, every one of us is going to die. We have an appointment set up with death. And when, we, when that appointment comes due... When that appointment time comes, we're going to stand before Almighty God. Are you ready to stand before Him? If you're not ready, I would encourage you to get ready. The Word of God tells us exactly how we can be ready to stand before Him. Let me tell you, it's very simple. There's nothing you have to do. Jesus Christ has already done it. He said on the cross, it is finished. He did it all. Are you ready to give an answer? 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and flip over there for just a minute. 1 Peter chapter 3. That's Second Peter. But sanctify the Lord God, verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Are you ready to give an answer? You see, if you are living your life as you should, as, as a Christian should, if you are living according to the Word of God, there's going to be a stark difference between your life and the life of an unbeliever. 
Your entire outlook on life, your entire priority structure, your entire way of life is going to be different than everyone else around you. And it's going to start causing people to ask questions. What makes you tick? Why are you different? Are you ready to give an answer when those opportunities come? A few years ago, my family went through one of, if not the greatest trial that we have ever gone through. In the fall of 2009, our daughter Esther was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer. She passed away in April of 2010. While we were at the hospital, we had not been there for a week. And the doctors and nurses in her care team came in and they told us that over 90% of the families that came through their door where there was a child with cancer, over 90% of those families went through a divorce within one year. Because they were unable to handle the grief, the stresses, the pressures of dealing with it. I am still to this day, by those that know what we went through at that time, how did you do it? How did you get through that, that, that horrible time in your life? Your trial that you're going through, it may not be cancer. It may not be the death of one of your children. But it's still real to you. It's still painful. It still hurts. It's still hard to go through. It's still a struggle. But when you live your life according to the Word of God and you're going through that struggle, people are going to look at you and they're going to recognize that there is something different about you. You have a hope. You have an assurance. You have a mindset that the lost world does not have and it's going to cause people to stand up and take notice. When those opportunities come, are you ready? Do you wear the hat of saying, I am ready, I am prepared to share the gospel with those around us? Are you ready to go anywhere? One of my favorite Bible stories in the book of Acts, there are a number of different Events, I should say events, not stories. I don't like the terminology story in, discuss, in discussion about the Word of God. A story is something that is untrue. The Bible is not full of untruths, it's full of facts. It is full of events. One of my favorite events that take place in the book of Acts is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip had been preaching a very successful revival meeting. 
He had been seeing people saved, people baptized, and people added to the church. The church was growing. It was going very, very, very well. Then God came and told Philip, the events are in Acts chapter 8, read it later. God came and told Philip to go to the desert. Now, I've been to the desert. The country of Mongolia is one of, if not the world's coldest desert. I've been in the, or the, the American Southwest on several occasions. I've been to the desert. I don't like the desert. I don't know many people that really like the desert. But the desert, in general, most places, is very, very sparsely populated. Mongolia is one of the least populated nations in the world. Approximately one person for every um, five to ten square kilometers. Very sparsely populated. You go out to the desert and there's nobody there. But God, that's where God was sending Philip. He says, leave this successful meeting. Leave this successful church. Leave this location where people are getting saved all the time and go to the desert. It's hot. Sometimes it's cold. It's dry. Almost no one, if anyone, is there. God, why do you want me to go to the desert? But in the advance of that passage, we don't have Philip asking why. Instead, we see him saying, yes, sir, and off to the desert he went. I don't know what the desert is in your life. I don't know what area it is that, that, you're saying, that you would say, well, God, I really don't want to go there. Maybe it's taking the word of God and sharing the plan of salvation with a family member. God, I just, I really don't want to go there. Maybe it's a country or a people group. I, I don't know what the desert is in your life, but I do know that the Apostle Paul said that he was ready. And as part of being ready, that's ready to go anywhere for the cause of Christ. Are you ready this morning? Or have you said, God, I'll do this, but I will not do that. God, I'll give you this, but don't ask me to do that. That's not being ready. Are we ready to work together to get the job done? The book of Ecclesiastes says that a twofold cord is strong, a threefold cord is stronger. Do you remember the events as the children of Israel were coming out? I believe they were coming out of the land of Egypt. They were in a battle. Aaron, I believe it was Aaron and her. I did not look it up and read it this morning. I could have my Bible characters wrong held up Moses' hands while Joshua was out with the battle fighting. 
As long as Moses' hands were held up, the battle went well. But the minute the hands started to slip, the battle tide turned. I don't know if you've ever tried to hold your hands up like this for any length of time at all. It gets hard. Try and do that for an hour. One day, just stand just like that and hold your hands up like that for an hour without letting them drop. We must be willing to work together. You are all part. As a believer, you're part of the family of God. As a member of this church, you're part of this church. God has placed each person here with a specific purpose in mind, with a specific job to do. Are we ready to work together to get the job done? I can't do it all myself. You can't do it all yourself. Pastor Kim, our Korean pastor, and myself were talking a couple months ago. And we had sat down and figured it up. On average, we pass out between 8,000 to 10,000 pieces of gospel literature a month. On average, in the city of Seoul. There are 25 to 26 million people that live in the city of Seoul, South Korea, in the metro area. At that rate, it would take over 200 years to offer every single person in the city of Seoul a gospel tract. Pastor can't reach this city by himself. He said there's 600,000 people that live in the city of Surrey, British Columbia. If they're going to reach the if they're if they're going to be reached with the gospel of Christ, it's not because Pastor White did it all himself. We have to be willing to work together to get the job done. Are you ready this morning? Are you willing to wear that hat? The last hat that we see here that the Apostle Paul wore is he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Many times we change this word in our mind as we're reading this, and we we read, For I am not embarrassed. But that's not what the word says. That's not what the word of God says. The word of God uses the word ashamed. And being ashamed is different than being embarrassed. It has a different meaning. It has a different connotation. If you were to study out the word ashamed throughout the Scriptures, old and new, there's something interesting, I believe, that you would find. In almost, if not every instance that the word ashamed is used in the Scriptures, It's talking about, or it has the context of sin.
For example, Psalms 119.6, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. Psalms 119.80, Let my soul be sound in thy statutes that I be not ashamed. In almost, if not every instance that the word ashamed is used, it is because of sin in the believer's life. The Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed. He was not saying that he was perfect. But he was saying that, that he has a hope. In Romans chapter 5, hope maketh not ashamed. Romans chapter 10, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. The Apostle Paul understood that there was no reason for him to be ashamed because of sin in his life, because Jesus Christ had washed it all away. He had been cleansed by the blood. When God saw him, he no longer saw sinful Apostle Paul, but he saw the righteousness of Christ. Each one of us wear a number of different hats this morning. I don't know what all hats you wear. Some of you wear the hat of student. Some of you wear the hat of father or mother or grandfather or grandmother. Some of you wear the hat of a specific occupation. I don't know what all hats you wear this morning. But I do know that in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives us three hats that every one of us should wear. Can you say with the Apostle Paul this morning, I'm willing to wear the hat of being a debtor. I'm willing to wear the hat of being ready. And I'm willing to wear the hat of not being ashamed.